guest today is Jordan Montgomery, the owner of the Montgomery Companies. Jordan is a highly regarded performance coach and keynote speaker whose clients include business executives, sales organizations, and entrepreneurs. From small town Iowa to a dominant force in the performance coaching industry, Jordan travels the country speaking and coaching executives at Fortune 500 companies, professional athletes, and salespeople. Jordan's authentic, engaging, and powerful presentations have become nationally recognized. In addition to his work speaking and coaching, Jordan is an accomplished business leader who has managed top performing sales teams in the financial services industry. Jordan resides in Tiffin, Iowa with his wife, Ashley, his three daughters, Audrey, Claire, and Olivia. When he is not writing, coaching, or speaking, Jordan spends his time with his family and enjoys the outdoors. He is a lover of sports and all things Iowa Hawkeyes. In my conversation, you can hear the authenticity in his voice. He speaks very well, very clear. And I was really enamored by watching some of his videos where he was coaching the Iowa Hawkeyes and giving a presentation and the attentiveness of his audience. I really like his manner of speaking, his manner of coaching, and it was a real pleasure to have him on the podcast. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Jordan Montgomery. Hey Jordan, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk with you. Thanks for coming. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me, man. I've been following your work, and I want to say uh, congratulations on all that you've built and continue to build, and it's an honor to have this conversation with you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So I got fired up when, when they sent me your bio, and then I got to watch your inspirational videos. I love that stuff. I love the stuff that you're doing with the Iowa Hawkeyes. So I saw that, and I was like, oh, man, I got to have this guy on. This is awesome. But <laughs> So Thanks. before we get into any of that, you said you listened to some of my podcasts. You probably already know what I'm about to say, but I really want to know about you and how you got started. And I, this is the part of the podcast where it's completely up to you how far back you want to go. But for me, when I meet someone like you, even if it's through the internet like this, I want to know what you did to become the person you are today. How, what was the path that steered you in this direction? What were the things that happened to you? And it, sometimes it's, it's as young as you're in elementary school and your, your father was the coach for certain sports teams. He got you fired up or, and, and you translated that into being also a business coach. So I'll stop talking and I want you to just kind of give us the backstory. So when people listen to this and then they later watch the YouTube video, they could say, oh, I, I get this. No, this, this was me, or now I see how he landed where he did. So the stage is yours. <clears throat> well, I appreciate that question, and I'll try to be succinct with my answer, but I grew up in Southeast Iowa in a little town called Kelowna, and Kelowna is the smallest, um, one of the smallest towns in Washington County, but it's the largest Amish community west of the Mississippi. So I grew up in sort of Amish country, a one stoplight, don't blink kind of town. Uh, simple life. You know, mom was a teacher, dad was a blue collar worker, but my dad taught me the value of hard work. And I really learned work ethic from my father. He was an entrepreneur, so he owned a, a small painting business. And I always really appreciated the fact that my dad was at every one of my sporting events. He never missed a, a, an event in music. He never missed a sporting event. He was just there for me. He was ultra present as a father. And so when I got out of college, I, I knew um, for sure, Joe, that I wanted to control my own time. I just remember that with my father's example. I thought, you know, I, I just want to make sure I can control my own time. 
that nobody ever tells me where I have to be and, and when I have to be there. And it's not that I had a problem with following instruction. I just wanted to build my life by design and really take control of my time and lead my family well in the same way that my dad led me. So I grew up in rural Iowa. I went to the University of Iowa. Uh, I'm still a, a very avid Hawkeye fan, and we've had the fortunate opportunity to work with some of the sports programs. So I live in Iowa City, Iowa, actually just outside of Iowa City uh, in a little small town called Tiffin with uh, my wife, Ashley, and our three daughters. My wife today uh, runs the business. I run my mouth. We have a full-scale uh, coaching and consulting firm, Montgomery Companies. We have several coaching partners, and today we serve several thousand coaching clients. Uh, those clients range from professional athletes to entrepreneurs and salespeople. We do work with some executive leaders at some larger firms, and I just have a blast uh, getting to do what I do. And I meet some really interesting people. We get to help people think more deeply about who they are and where they're headed, and ultimately, you get to help people live into who they were created to be. And it's a tremendous blessing. So I had a career in the financial services business that allowed me to pivot into this world. Pretty open about you know my professional journey. But at the end of the day, graduated college 2010, the University of Iowa, and spent the last 11 years really building a skill set that's allowed us to build a business around coaching, consulting, and leading people. So that's kind of the short version of my story. Obviously, there's a lot of twists and turns, and God's provided a lot of grace. Uh, certainly, I've been thankful to be around a lot of the right people. But um, if you're asking me the short version on how I got to where I'm at today, that's the, the short version on Jordan Montgomery. Cool. So first of all, I love the part where you said that because your father was able to make it, you gravitated towards that feeling and knowing that he was able to do it because he owned his own business. So early on for you and for the listeners, that triggered something for you that you were able to say, I, I want that for my own family and my own kids at some point when I have kids, that I have that flexibility to do this. So that was really cool. Not a lot of people have said that in the past on the show when they when they've said, oh, I became an entrepreneur because and it was all of these other reasons, but to actually associate it with your father sitting on the sidelines watching you play sports, band concert or whatever it might be, that was really cool. Yeah, I think my dad, at the end of the day, my dad was a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. And I wanted to model that. I wanted to be a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. And I think um, as a driven type A young man living in America, I got to fight that every day. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like my wife and my kids are my top priority. But if I say they're my top priority, then that needs to show up in my calendar. And that needs to be reflected in how I spend my time. And I want to be respected the most by people who know me the best. And that means that I'm a father first. I'm a husband first. I'm leading my family well. And if I lead inside the walls of my home, then I think I can lead in other areas of my life as well. But I just didn't want to be the guy that built something professionally, um, but then sacrificed or compromised in really other important areas of life. So I appreciate you pointing back to my father's example. I, I probably still underestimate the impact that that had on me as a young kid, but he really taught me what entrepreneurship was all about in so many ways. Yeah, that was really cool. And I came from an entrepreneurial family as well. The unfortunate thing for me is that my father could not attend most of my stuff. So it, when you said it, it kind of hit home and I, I hold nothing. He's passed on at this point, but I never held a grudge because he just, he worked his butt off and, and just to provide and create something great. So it never struck me the other way. It wasn't 
like I was resentful over it, but I just love the way you framed that whole thing. That was really cool. Well, and, and I'll, I'll say this too, Joe, um, because there's some entrepreneurs listening that maybe don't have that flexibility. Like maybe you're truly in a situation where you've got a team or your business is in an industry that requires you to work certain hours or whatever. So that's not to um, shame or guilt anyone who's working really hard to provide, because at the end of the day, um, entrepreneurs are called to work longer hours, right? It's just part of the deal. So if you're in that grind right now, here's what I'd encourage you with is um, someday that's going to change. And the reason that you're doing what you're doing right now, the reason that you're working as hard as you're working right now is to have the flexibility and the autonomy. And, you know, I I also wasn't there for my dad's early years. Like I missed, you know, I I was born when my dad was, you know, eight to 10 years into being an entrepreneur. So uh, he earned that flexibility. So let's just not forget that that flexibility is earned. And that looks different for every entrepreneur based on the industry that you're in and the stage of the business that you're in. So I I think that's important to underscore. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I'm still working like crazy, but it's just because I don't say no and I just keep adding more and more to my plate. So it's my own (laughs) fault. And, and, uh, you know, we're empty nesters. I have no one to provide for but myself, but I just can't stop the train. So it is what it is. So let's, before we get into all of what you offer in the Montgomery companies and, and, you know, your team and the different levels of coaching that you do, talk to me about you and sports, just because I want to know, was there a correlation of you doing sports young or sports in college or to me, you looked like you were a football player. I was like, maybe he played for the Hawkeyes. And I was like, I don't know. Well, yeah, you know, I, I just, I fell in love with sports at a really early age. I just love competition. I loved competing. I loved watching other people compete. I love the atmosphere. I love the energy that goes into a sports, you know, a competition. I'm still the guy, Joe, like I will watch one shining moment at the end of the final four. Uh, for those who are familiar with that show, I cry every year when I watch that <laughs> one shining, that little three minute clip. Um, and I think part of the reason I get emotional about that is you watch young people get emotional over competition. And I just loved the rush of competition. I loved watching people give their all to a very specific activity, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. And so I just fell in love with sports at a young age. I played sports all the way through high school. I did not compete in college. And it's something that's kind of interesting about my story and background. A lot of people ask me, well, you must've played professional sports or at least collegiate sports. If you're going to work with these professional, you know, athletes and college athletes. And I'm just very open about that. A lot of what I learned is applied. Um, and most of the athletes we're working with, we're working with in the areas of, of mindset and leadership development. So I'm not teaching a basketball player how to shoot. You know, I'm not helping the football player with his footwork, but we are helping them with their mental game. And we're helping them with the six inches in between their ears. And we're helping them with how they see the world and their self-awareness and their externalization and optimization. You know, at the end of the day, I think an athlete's in a really unique world where um, they give so much of their time for such a really, really small window of competition. You know, you think about like the average NFL athlete will compete for less than two hours whistle to whistle over the course of a season. But they'll compete literally all year round and they'll get paid, graded and evaluated for what they do inside of two hours all year long. But it's kind of a metaphor for for all of us, right? Because the reality is each one of us is practicing for little moments, for small moments. Some of them we can predict, some of them we can't. 
But you get paid in your business show, you get paid really, really, really well to be prepared in small little windows of time. And so I've developed this sort of fascination or obsession with helping athletes prepare and be at their best when that small window of opportunity presents itself. And you know your clutch, you know your clutch, when you can show up and do normal things in, in abnormal times. So like Derek Jeter, Kobe Bryant, you know, they, they're considered clutch because at the end of the day, they could show up normal. They could just be who they were because they had practiced so much in the most important windows of time. And it's a really interesting metaphor that we could apply to all of life. Yeah, it's, and you, again, people that maybe just watch sports casually don't understand the grueling effort and the lifelong commitment to potentially never, ever getting that chance in the sports world. And I used to have some really good friends on the Buffalo Bills football team because we, I went to college out there. And I was a musician. I was in a band. They loved our band and they used to come and hang out. We'd go out to dinner with them and you would hear the stories. And it's just to live on the edge of not knowing if you're playing or you're sitting each day and who's, who's looking for your spot and to work so hard and give up so much from a really young age all the way through. It's unbelievable. I, I you know, and I watched certain friends here in Arizona, believe it or not, Arizona's got a, a very big hockey base you know like fans love hockey yeah. and there's a lot of kids that come here play hockey play on the the farm team of the coyotes or whatever and we've had friends that had their kids just go through all and hockey moms and dads have the worst it's the worst schedule i've ever seen and to go all the way to the very end and be on the farm team and never get called up it's just i can't even imagine that it's just yeah brilliant. well it's a it's it's a pursuit of excellence right and right. um you know, I'm reading a book right now by Tim Grover, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness, and it's called Winning. And, um, you know, there's so much of what Tim Grover preaches that I really love. I'm, I'm not, uh, maybe not aligned with 100% of it, but um, winning has a price, you know, and pursuing your calling has a price, regardless of what you do, you know, sports or otherwise. If you're an athlete, great. But if you're an entrepreneur, uh, there's going to be a cost associated with your calling. And um, I think sports is the epitome of that, but certainly entrepreneurship is, is right there, you know, with being, with being an athlete in terms of making sacrifice. Yep. Yep. I agree. Okay. So enough about sports. I watched the video of you working with the, the Hawkeyes and uh, I, I was watching as the, the camera went around the room, I was watching to see how intently the players were listening to you and like I was watching their eyes and their expressions and they were all incredibly focused and I can only imagine the coach going hey today we're having Jordan Montgomery come in today he's going to talk to us about the six inches between our ears I want you guys to pay attention I want you to be open to what he says and whatever and you know it feels like when somebody comes into the classroom when you're in elementary school and you start throwing papers at each other and so how do you deal with that when you speak because you do all sorts of speaking engagements so this was just one small piece of it but you do something to capture people when i watched even the the speaking engagements at the corporations that you've done you have a really good flow you don't use all of the weird words that people use all the time tell me how you do it yeah, well, I, you know, there, there's there's a lot that goes into speaking, right? Speaking is an art form. And in today's world, attention is currency. So something we think about a lot in the keynote speaking world is you got to keep people's attention. And if you can't, you're out, you're done. You'll, you'll never be the really 
high demand keynote speaker if you don't know how to keep somebody's attention. So there's multiple ways that we do that. One of the ways that we keep people's attention is through story, right? So story, sell, facts, tell. When you get really good at telling stories, you keep people's attention. In fact, if I were to tell you about my business, if I were to say, well, you know, Joe, these are the five things that I do in my business. Or if I said, hey, Joe, let me tell you a story. The minute I said, I'm going to tell you a story, I would actually activate your brain at 12 times the capacity. So there's a lot of neuroscience that supports the fact that I've got Joe's attention at 12 times the rate. If I decide to allow my words to paint a picture, draw you into a story that actually activates your senses. So the first thing is we try to tell a lot of stories to drive a point. We don't use PowerPoints. We don't use slides. We don't use pictures or graphs. I'm not, um, I'm not minimizing uh, anybody who does those things. I just think if you're going to be someone who keeps people's attention, you got to be great at, at stories. Um, I think eye contact and tonality is, is another big one, right? There's a difference between communicating and connecting. People want to feel like you're speaking to them, right? Like, wow, this guy's speaking directly to me. And, and that sounds so simple, but what's common sense is not always common practice. If you watch the average keynote speaker, their eyes will kind of drift all throughout the room. They'll look down, they'll look sideways. I think as a speaker, you want to keep constant eye contact. And then the other thing I think about is being really you-centered in the messaging, being you-centered. So um, I'm going to use people's names. Uh, I'm going to pick people out in the crowd. I'm actually going to touch people, maybe even on the shoulder or the arm as I'm speaking, and I'm going to kind of move through the crowd. And so much of communication is nonverbal, right? 90% is nonverbal. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And it's also not what you say, it's what people hear. And it's what they remember. Maya Angelou famously said, it's not what you say that people remember, it's how you make them feel. And so I try to stay really in tune with how I make people feel. A lot of that is my energy, my body language. It's you-focused communication. It's telling stories. And it's the difference between connecting and communicating. So if you're listening and you're thinking about you know, your communication style, or maybe you want to develop your craft as a keynote speaker, those are a few things that you could consider. And I'll say this too, Joe, I'm a long way away from where I want to be. Like I got a long way to go. So those are things that I think about repetitiously. And I get obsessed with the practice of my craft. And I'm, I'm evaluating and observing high-level keynote speakers. You know, how do they move? What do they say? What do they not say? You know, their pace, their tonality, the way that they tell stories, their presence. I mean, those are all things that I'm paying attention to. So I appreciate your kind words. Um, I think communication is an art form, you know, no different than, you know, playing an instrument or doing a dance. And for anybody that's in sales, for any entrepreneur, uh, if you're not taking that seriously as you develop and grow your business, that's something to really consider and think about. Because whether you're speaking to an audience of 100 or 1,000 or an audience of five or 10, you're in the human connection business before you're in the construction business or before you're in the marketing business or financial planning business or real estate business. And we got to remember that, that human connection is at the center of everything that we do. Yeah. And you do it incredibly well, my friend. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's kind um, of you say. So let's just backtrack really quickly so that I can get the progression from college into starting this company. So did you go to school for finance? Um, I did. And I went to school for Interdepartmental studies, which is a fancy way to cover recreational management. So okay. I literally wanted to go to school, have a great social experience, and then start a business in the fitness world. That was kind of my dream. Okay. And so um, I took cut, took some entrepreneurial courses, got a degree in recreation management, fell into finance. I knew two things were true. I, I didn't want to have a boss, so I wanted to work for myself, and I wanted to uh, create my own schedule. 
that, that was it, right? I want to call my shots, create my own schedule, but I didn't have any money and I didn't have any experience. And so I fell into financial services because it allowed me to be a business for myself, but not by myself. So I had a great support system. It was kind of like a franchise model, had a lot of success in that world at an early stage, had a big event in my life in 2015 that really had me thinking about my future in a deeper way. And then I decided to pivot into sort of the consulting and coaching world, making financial planning uh, kind of our kind of our core client. I mean, so in a very early stage in the coaching business, financial advisors uh, were some of our first clients by way of my background in the financial planning world. How did coaching catch your eye? Or was it because you were just taking from your love of sports, being a coach, right? I mean, just taking that, but now saying, okay, wait, I want to do a little bit of that with sports people. I want to do that with entrepreneurs. I want to do it with, with business people. I mean, what made you wake up one day and say, yeah, I want to do coaching and I want to do it in this form. Well, I think it's so true in life and in business, definitely in entrepreneurship when we're leading people that more is caught than taught. And so nobody really taught me how to coach, but I watched other people coach and I watched other people in my industry that do what I'm doing now, do it at a really high level. And again, I paid attention to quality of life. I paid attention to their relationships. I paid attention to the way that they manage their decisions and manage their time. And I thought, you know, I want to do that. Um, I think I could do that. And I actually did it in tandem with my financial planning business. So I started sort of coaching on the side and I had really been coaching all the while I was in financial planning um, in some aspect working with clients, but I also started getting asked to speak and, and do workshops. And so I sort of fell in love with that work, Joe. But the reality is I had a couple of mentors. I had some key people in my life that had done that work at a really high level. One of those people is a guy by the name of Ben Newman. Uh, another guy is uh, John Wright Sr. And they both had big coaching practices, working with professional athletes and Fortune 500 executive leaders and I just admired their work. I thought, you know, I think I can do that. I got a lot to learn, but I'll learn as I go. And just like you or any other entrepreneur, you know, you kind of dive head first and just hope it works out. So our business grew rapidly by God's grace and through the help of a lot of good people. And I woke up one day and I thought, you know what? I could leave my financial planning business based on what we built in the coaching business. And then we started to add more partners and multiply our efforts through other people. And that's when it really starts to get fun is when you can impact the, the, the world or you can impact the world around you through the people that work with you. So that's a great segue because you do have a fairly sizable team. So what do those team members do for you? So virtually everybody on our team right now, with the exception of maybe two to three people, uh, they're in the coaching business. So they're coaching partners. So they're leading, uh, they're doing coaching and consulting work, either individual coaching, group coaching or keynote speaking. They're all contracted out. So some of them have five clients. Some of them have 30 clients. We have a couple that have just a couple clients and they're all sort of specialized. So we have some former professional athletes. We have some people that came from the ministry world. So they're actually pastors or they, they have been pastors. And then we have some people in the world of sales. So we have some real estate agents, some financial advisors. Some of them are very technical. Some of you might say are more motivational uh, but all of them are for hire as coaching partners. It's my job to lead them and make sure that they're getting what they need from a content standpoint. Um, and also just keeping them connected to, to a vision and, and keeping them connected to our company. But we're having a ton of fun. I mean, it's, uh, it's awesome to be on a team. It's fun to be a part of something that's bigger than just me. And, um, 
you know, each one of them is unique in terms of what they bring to the table. Do they follow a certain structure that you have set up so that when someone hires one of those people, they know that if they're getting the quality of the Montgomery company's coach and there's a certain structure, formula, something like that? Um, you know, the, what's most important to us, Joe, is that we all have similar values. So I want to give people the freedom and the flexibility be, to be autonomous mm -hmm. and how they work with clients. And so I've never told somebody, hey, here's the five-step plan. You know, here's exactly what you have to do. Now, I'll make some general suggestions about the way that we lead people and care for people. And, uh, but at the end of the day, most of the people that are on our coaching platform have been wildly successful in other arenas. And so they've been leading, they've been coaching, they've been training and developing people. So I think we're aligned in terms of our values. But beyond that, I want them to really operate in their true giftedness. And for some of them, that giftedness is in listening. You know, for some of them, it's in uh, the world of neuroscience. You know, they just really understand how the brain works. For others, uh, they're just big on accountability, right? They're kind of like the bulldog that's in your face. It's really intense and motivational. So we want people to be who they are. We want them to have strong values, which for us means they're faith-filled and family-oriented. And if they're faith-filled, family-oriented, others-focused, they're usually a good fit for our coaching practice. And then, of course, there's some other criteria that we want to vet out. But um, that's, a, that's a good question. Cool. Well, I just, it's important because I, when I went and looked at the website, I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. You have a really cool team around you. Thank you. And I wanted to find out if there was a variety in what they coach on, which you answered that question. They do. You have people that specialize in all sorts of things. So it's, it's great that if someone loves working with you for all the reasons that they love to work with you, they can get basically whatever they need under one roof, which is cool, right? It's not yeah. like you do, yeah. one, it's not one dimensional in any, any way, shape or form. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's that's very true of, of our team. I think we're well positioned to help just about anybody in any industry with any problem. You know, there's there's a few that we would say, hey, we're not, you know, not licensed to do that. <laughs> we're not going to dive into that space. But for the most part, if it is in the world of performance, sales and driving results, there's somebody on our team that can handle the issue or the opportunity. All right, cool. So let's talk about the coaching part of it. And if you can go through and tell me the different types of services that you have for the coaching piece of it. Yes. Yeah, so there's really two components to coaching for us and our business model. One is group coaching and one is individual coaching. And those are obviously very separate. If I'm working with an individual client and we're talking about the phases of coaching or how I work with a client, first is discovery. So the answers you get are only as good as the questions that you ask. And people don't care how much you know until they know that you care. And to us, it's a relationship. And so I always tell people, hey, I'm a coach, which means I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to share ideas. We're going to talk about concepts and strategy, just like any coach would. The difference in our approach, I think, is that I'm also a strategic partner. And so if I sign up to work with a client, what that means is I'm going to advocate, I'm going to support, I'm going to connect, and I'm going to highlight and spotlight who you are and what you do. That means that my network is your network. It means if you want a speaking gig, we're going to help you with that. If you need um, marketing help, we're, we're going to help you with that. If I need to get you connected to another thought leader, I'm going to help you with that. If we need to help you track down a client or a prospect, I'm going to help you with that. So it's our approach is a little bit different that way. It's, it's heavily based around relationship, and relationship has to start with discovery. 
Um, one of my other beliefs, Joe, is that if I'm working with a client, it's always 100% of the time, their time, not mine, which means I've got to deal with the issues, the opportunities and the challenges that are most present for them right away before I try to drive my agenda. So if I show up to the call and I say, hey, Joe, here's three things I want to talk about today. Here's the, here's the new approach to closing a sale, or here's the new approach to this, the discovery process or whatever. And I find out that your dog just died or that you just lost a key employee or that you know your house just burnt down, right? I'm using really dramatic examples. But anyway, the, the point is there's something else on your mind that I'm missing it. I'm not, you know, I'm, I've failed to connect with you. And candidly, I failed to lead you well. So the first question I, I asked to all of our coaching clients at a coaching meeting, and they would tell you this, is I'd say, hey, Joe, how do we create space to discuss and talk about the things that are most pressing, interesting, and relevant for you today? I want to start there. And then we'll recap, and we'll talk about some of the stuff that we've talked about in the past. I'm always, you know, uh, forcing accountability. So we're, we're bringing things to the forefront. Did you do X, Y, and Z? You said you do that. Where are you at with that? but we address the issues that are most present. And then I'm always trying to share ideas and concepts that I feel like are relevant to them based on the season of life they're in, the industry they're in, or what they've said that they needed help with. Conversations tend to be fairly organic because again, it's a, it's a relationship. And you know, people open up to us about all kinds of stuff, their marriage, their finances, you know, their, their friendships, their, their problems that go way beyond their professional life. So Appreciate the question. I don't know if I if I answered it exactly, but um, to give you a window into our world and, and how we work with people, that that's sort of our our process and style. Great. So before we move to the group coaching piece of it, because we just talked about the one-on-one, what's your sweet spot? Who who are the people that you feel you work best with or can can help the best? You know, right now we work with such a wide range of people, Joe. So I'm not as concerned about like industry or niche. Um, here's what I, I what I'm really concerned with is character traits. So they've got to be values oriented, right? They got to care. They got to be a, a decent person. And in other words, if they just want to go make all the money in the world, but they don't want to lead their family, I, I'm, I'm probably not a good fit because I'm going to challenge them on their values and leading their family and growing in their faith. I mean, that's it's part of who I am, right? That's not for everybody, but so we're probably not a good fit if that's not part of who they are. And then the second thing that I would tell you is they got to be open-minded. They have to be willing to learn. They have to be somebody that enjoys new information and new ways of thinking and new perspective, fresh perspective, right? doesn't mean that I'm always right or my perspective is the right perspective. It just means that they're willing to listen, right? They're, they're willing to hear. And then they're willing to be challenged. So they want somebody to ask them the tough questions and share the truth. And Nick Saban said it best. He said, average players want to be left alone. Good players want to be coached. Great players want the truth. You know, I want people that want the truth. I want people that really want to be challenged. They've got an open mind and they have strong values. And if they've got those three things, they're usually a good fit for our coaching practice. Awesome. I love that. Okay, cool. So the group, coaching. What does that entail? So the group coaching is typically a kind of a one hour session. Um, we try to kind of meet people where they're at. So I work with organizations as do our partners to figure out, Hey, what really do you need? What's the right time frame? You know, what's the right size? I'd love to tell you that we've got like this specific program. It's cookie cutter. It's not, uh, but that's by design. We really want to be a partner 
and, and meet people where they're at. So sometimes it's as small as, as five people. I've got one group right now at 60, which I think is probably a little too big. Uh, what's important to us is that that's it's intimate or as intimate as it can be where people really feel like you know them. And, and so we call on people. I, I try to get to know everybody by name and, and remember little facts about who they are and what's important to them. Uh, it's highly interactive. So I'm calling on people throughout the session. Usually I'm delivering 30 minutes of content. There's 30 minutes of discussion. We challenge, challenge on the spot, have other people challenge each other. I always say this in our group coaching program that where you sit determines what you see and you see something different than everybody else sees. And different is valuable. And so what that means is your voice matters because whether you're the most experienced person on the call or the least experienced person on the call, you see something that nobody else in the organization sees. And so we need your voice. We need your perspective because you got a different perspective than everybody else. So Johnny that sits at the front desk, that's the director of first impressions, has some really valuable perspective because Johnny sees something that Sarah, the CEO, doesn't see. And so we really just try to foster conversation, uh, encourage people and empower people to share and speak up and then deliver content that's inclusive and relevant to the group. The coaching business COVID or not COVID, were you doing live coaching up until that point? And now a lot of it shifted onto like Zoom calls and things like that? Or how's your business today? And, and what's the mixture of live versus online? Yes. Yeah, so, so much of our business is virtual. Okay. It just kind of always has been. And most, a lot of our clients aren't local. So they're you know, we, they're kind of spread out. Uh, we work with people all over the, the US. I'm pretty used to Zoom calls and in phone calls. And I speak a lot, right? So keynote speaking is, you know, live often, but we still do virtual keynotes as well. So it's a good mixture. I would say in so many ways, COVID changed our business. I was always willing to do things virtually, but I think a lot of companies weren't yep. until they realized like, hey, we can do it this way. And so... For me, as a person with a young family, it allowed me to stay at home and I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't on a plane twice a week, sleeping in a hotel. So, so COVID in, in some ways, and I'd be careful how I say this, because it was a really difficult time for a lot of people. For our business, it actually affected my day-to-day -day rhythm or quality of life in, I think, a positive way and allowed me to be more present with my family. So it's a good mix of both, but I would say the pandemic certainly forced it to be more virtual. Perfect. Out of the clients that you have, what is the percentage of general corporations, then entrepreneurs, and then sports related? Yeah, I would say a good portion of our clients are either in sales or entrepreneurs. Okay. You know, so they're, in fact, I would say it's probably 80% uh, of our business. They're either business owners or they're in sales. And, you know, then there's maybe 20% that they're in the world of uh, executive leadership or uh, sports. So that's kind of the mix of our business. When I say executive leadership, they're a leader in some sort of a corporate setting. Mm -hmm. um, but it's starting to change more every day. Uh, like we work, I work right now with a group of physicians. I've got a gal that owns a very successful cosmetology clinic. So her whole thing is, is cosmetology and she's been wildly successful. And, you know, real estate agents and financial advisors and, and college athletes and pro athletes. And so the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wide range of people. Awesome. Okay. We're closing in on the amount of time that I have you for, which is unfortunate because I love talking with you and I love your approach. I'm getting hit up left and right. 
with people that have coaching businesses or their personal coaches or their life coaches or whatever. And there's something about your approach that's just different that really I gravitated towards. And I'm going to put you on the spot just because this is something that I think people will ask themselves and they, and they don't know the answer to, but people would say, well, why do I need a personal coach? Why would that person across from me, whether it's in person or via zoom call, know anything more about me or my business or be able to help. And I think there's, there's definitely people that decided one day they woke up and said, I'm going to be a life coach. So they sort of created a, a bad name for the people that really do it well. Right. So you're one of the few people that I've had on where I could ask this question to and say, okay, I know I'm going to really get a, a good, honest answer. And so I'm putting you on the spot for the coaching community because I, I, it's something that, you know, I've never had a coach and I probably could have used a coach. I probably can use a coach. That would be my question is like, well, well Jordan, why do you know anything more about, and obviously you're going to do a discovery, right? We're going to learn about each other and you're going to learn what, what I do on a daily basis and, and things. And then, you know, looking at it from another point of view, you can help, but I want you to answer that question for me, yeah, especially for the listeners and entrepreneurs out there going, man, I'm alone every day in this business. I don't have anybody else helping me. Do I need a coach or don't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So got multiple answers to the question that you just asked. And it's a great question, by the way. Um, Tom Landry probably said it best. He said, coaching is allowing people to hear what they don't want to hear, helping people see what they don't want to see so they can become the person they always wanted to become. That's, that's what coaching is, right? And the reality is we, we all have blind spots, myself included. So I've always had a coach. I got three now. I've always had one. Probably had 10 over the last five years. Um, the average Olympic athlete has seven different coaches. And I think as you grow, there's what happens is there's this paradox of education, right? The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so we're always sort of evolving in our, our self-awareness but we all have blind spots and we don't know what we don't know. And so you need somebody else to speak truth in life and, and give you feedback uh, and be real and candid and give it to you with love, right? And, and with care. But um, what I found is most people aren't receiving enough feedback. Even those who are at the top of their game. And I'll give you an example where this shows up, Joe. It shows up in communication all the time. So none of us are perfect. We all have a lot to learn, right? When it comes to our communication style, what we say, how our body moves, our tonality, our pace. So we test out salespeople all the time. So I'll get hired by a big wig financial advisor. Okay, this person will have 20 years of experience, a team of 20 people. They're doing tens of millions of dollars of revenue. They're, they're very successful. And so they hire us, they hire me to come in and do coaching work with them. And every one of them has sort of a different set of needs. But one of the things that we always talk about, at least on some level, is their communication style, right? Because they're in sales and they're communicating all day, every day for a living. So I challenge this financial advisor, usually within the first few meetings, I'll say, hey, I want you to send me your approach language, which is really their, what, what they say to engage a client in conversation. So it's a first time meeting. And this is the first five minutes of sort of the introductory meeting. And I can, I can feel their energy when I, when I challenge them. When I say, hey, I want you to send me that communication, their energy is like at a negative two, right? They're thinking, you're going to bill me X for coaching. I've been doing this for 20 years. 
Like what I don't need is help on the basics of what I say. And, you know, I, I can just feel that they're just not really excited about that. But I, I, I challenge them. I say, it's, I think this is a really important part of our work together. It helps me understand who you are and how you're showing up for people. So send that over when you get some time. So they send it over. And it's not that I have all the answers, but I'm willing to listen to it repeatedly. Our team listens to it repeatedly. And then we give them an analysis. We give them feedback. The energy level when we give them feedback goes from a negative two to a 10 every single time because they do not know what they do not know. And I just had a guy the other day, I said, okay, so in the first two minutes of your communication, you said the word, um, 37 times. Did you know that? You know, Hey, the way that you show up, did, did you know that you use me focused conversation over and over? Like you are literally saying, I, my, me repeatedly. <laughs> And you've been doing it for 20 years and nobody has ever told you that you're doing it. And that's a shame because you would connect with people in a deeper and more meaningful way because you would be able to drive better results. You would have more purposeful conversation if you could just make that one small tweak. You know, we could end the conversation of the coaching relationship right there. And the time that we had spent together would have been massively impactful. Again, not because I have all the answers but because I'm willing to listen, give real feedback and press in on blind spots that we all have. And the last thing I'll say is people need to be encouraged. You know, people will go farther than they think they can when someone else thinks they can, period. And I don't care if you're the most successful person, the least successful person, the most experienced, the least experienced. I'm working with a guy the other day, Fortune 500 executive leader, big time leader of people. They had a record-breaking year at their firm. Unbelievable year. This guy's in charge of, you know, literally hundreds of direct reports. And I asked him in a conversation, I just said, hey, how many people told you over this past fiscal year, so you just wrapped up the year, how many people told you, good job? And he says, well, like, what do you mean? I said, you know what I mean? Like emails, texts, phone call, like how many people reached out to you, said, hey, good job, great year. And he said, zero. Zero people had picked up the phone, had sent him a text, had sent him an email. So the point is this, John, that um, I'm working with this guy named John. I said, the point is this, John, that um, you need to be encouraged. You need somebody to point out what you're doing well. You need somebody to touch your heart and remind you of who God made you to be and all of the natural God-given giftedness that's inside of you. And I just want to share with you, it's an honor to be able to do that for you and with you. But let me, let me help you see what I see. Let's look back at the last 12 months. Here's what you've achieved. In that moment, I think, I think when you step into somebody's life in that way, you're, you're a lid lifter and you do it authentically and you help them see more and you help them see before, man, I think you're in a position of strength relationally. And I think that person at that moment realizes that that relationship means more than they ever realized. So there's a lot that we could say about coaching, but I think Joe, when you touch somebody's heart, when you appreciate people for who they are, when you point out their God-given giftedness, and when you deliver the truth in love and you point out their blind spots, you can be a world-class coach. And it has nothing to do with what you know. It's all about how you show up and serve people. See, I knew I asked the right guy. I knew it. <laughs> well, that's just my answer. I don't know if it's the right answer by anybody else's standard, but in my world, that's, you know, it's, 
it's, it's the way that I try to live each and every day with the people that we serve. Well, I love it. And, and I took you over the time, but I appreciate you so much. It, this was awesome. I'd love to do this again when we have more time to do dig in deeper to your company. What's the it. best way to get in contact with you? Yeah. So here's what I'd say. We do a lot of work through social media. So Instagram is probably where I'm most active. I'm okay. Jordan M Montgomery on Instagram. So I would love it. If you want to get in touch to send a direct message, I'll communicate back with you. would love to connect. Montgomerycompanies.com is our website. I'm also active on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And if anybody reaches out, I will gladly respond. If you got a question, if you're wrestling with an issue, an opportunity, I'd love to talk through it with you and uh, be of service to anybody listening. And, and Joe, I want to say thank you uh, for having me on your show. It's an honor. It's always an honor to share. Uh, you're great with the questions that you asked. It's very clear that you showed up prepared and you also had great energy. And so I just want to say thank you for your time and attention. Thanks for who you are and for what you're putting out into the world that's making a difference. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to the next time and uh, you take care of yourself and just keep doing what you're doing because I love it. Right back at you, brother. Be well. Thanks again. You too, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts, and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.